Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk, the podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, anybody with an interest in knives. So today we've got a slightly different show. So I've got myself hosting, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. We've got Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. And we've got no Moreco this week. So instead, we've got an excellent substitute. We've got Will Stelter. Hey, Will, how are you? How's it going, Craig? How you doing, Jeff? Boy, it's nice to hear you. Good old mm-hmm. Will Stelter. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. what have you been up to this week? Shall I start with what I've been up to? Yes. So it was a big week. So it was the week of Coutelier, which is, uh, I suppose it's the French equivalent of the Blade Show, a big knife festival that happens every year. Um, So that's in Thiers, which is this crazy town, which is just set up for knife making. They've been making knives there for hundreds of years. It's crazy. Um, So I took a trip there to Thiers for the weekend. Um, That was good. Very, very good. Um, I've also had confirmation of my new steak knife design, which I've been sort of trialing for a bit with a few people and they're very happy with. Um, And I've also got some very exciting news. So I can't fully share with you fully yet. But if you look at my my last post on Instagram, you'll see that I've got these these little pins, which I'll be using for some chef knives, which which have the the Michelin star as as part of the pin. That's not nothing. That's it's not, not nothing. nothing. So there's been there's been this whole sort of deal going on. That's, that's taken months and months. So there's going to be a bigger announcement to come because it's, it's forming part of something much bigger. Um, but basically, I, I'm licensed to use this 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 Michelin star with it with for knives. Um, so that's that's massive news for me. Um, so it's yeah, it's been a very very good and a tiring week, but a very good week. 
that you know that's incredible congratulations and i have a question for you about the t- the 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 town you were in tiers hmm. uh yeah. you didn't mention that you were in a you you made a really great youtube video showing your process of setting up your camp in this crazy town <laughs> this crazy yeah. town you gotta everybody gotta watch craig's youtube video he did a he did a basically a travel guide to for this event and the craziest part is is like there are knife stores next to each other oh everywhere and this town is like medieval it's it's super old so you know a normal town now you've got grocery stores and all that there's none of that it's only knife stores so they're selling knives or knife making equipment this whole town is built around knife making and i just did a little drive from where i stay in this little campsite into tiers and i counted 14 different factories making knives table knives <sighs> Holy Absolutely crazy. And this place, it's not a city, it's a small town. It's crazy. So yeah, I, I made this video, so go and take a look on YouTube. It's my latest video, and it just shows, you know, Tiers, the place. And I mean, it, it's, it's famous for, for its knives, but I have a little bit of a beef about... about <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about... I've got a beef later. We'll talk about that later. But what, what about you, Jeff? What have you been up to? Well... I'm just, I, you know, it's been a banana, totally bananas. I, uh, we were doing, I'm getting ready to take over the Instagram page of the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. Hmm. And I'm going to have the, in the second week of June, right after Blade Show, I'm going to be taking over their website or their, their Instagram. So I'm trying to get them squared away. And then I unleashed, I don't think it's launched. I think it's unleashed. I unleashed this new, uh, knife that I was doing with, um, Carl Ruiz, Who's also known as Sabor Chef on Instagram? He is the guy I designed the Cuban knife for, which is he wanted something sinister, and I designed this knife for him. And we that blew the doors off. And he's all he's a Food Network guy. He's also mm. one of the hosts of the Opie Radio podcast. He's been incredible. He's just like a he's just a, he's a, he is a true unicorn. He's something very similar. And so he wanted something a few months ago. He said I'd like to do the next knife something like he basically said I want something for tail tailgating and home defense so he wanted like a (laughs) tailgating and home defense so he wanted like kind of like a camping cooking knife Mm. and so we we i designed something i made it and then we were just kind of holding back and then he's opening this new restaurant he says i'd love you to come down and and i'm actually going to make some knives for his kitchen staff and then we brought the knife down but, but we because he's so He's such a crazy guy. When I say crazy, I'm not saying like bananas, but he's got this whole persona and he's very like, it's very sincere. It's a sincere, it's a sincere, you know, character. He's a very sincere guy, but it's like totally deranged. He's going to put somebody in the ground. He, he the boy can drink and he's going to put someone in the ground, but that's not my department. So <laughs> I we, told, we decided that we would get our website squared away so we can kind of like you know, not coordinate with him, but just like capture the uh, capture the the wake and the explosion that is Carroes. And we got to the restaurant, we hung out with him, and he said, "Let's do it." I brought the knife down, and then Tony brought the computer out and was like pressing the nuclear codes. He pressed, you know, launch on the website, and then Carl started doing these videos, and we just like the past from Wednesday to Sunday was like a blitzkrieg of 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 traffic so it was really really good and he took me to uh he took me to the the oyster bar in grand central station and we ate some food <laughs> did and drank see, some yeah. 
It one of the he's showed me something I'd never had before, and I thought it was going to be nothing special. It was his caviar sandwich? It was amazing, and and that's it. But really, the, it was a great. It was a totally maniac uh, week. But I'm thrilled that that Will came in and Will's here, and I really want to get into Will and 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 I'm going to also just preface this by saying I'm a big fan of Will Stelter. I'm also a fan of his mother. So I know that while <laughs> while while Will is here and I know that Will's mom is listening, I'm going to be on my best behavior. It's going to be all golly gee and you know, no no naughty words. It's going to be I'm here. I respect him and his I don't want his mother to give him trouble either. So I'm with you my bad. Well, we'll see how long that uh that PG rating lasts for. But thank you, Jeff. I appreciate well, that. It'll be fine. I, I can, I, like I said, I, I this is all very controlled. I, I think you think that I'm uncontrollable. You, it's all very. We'll we'll see. I, if I have to tell Mrs. Stelter to kind of take a knee and maybe sit the next ten seconds out, I'll I'll give her a spoiler <laughs> alert and tell her to just hit the fast forward button for a second. We'll be alright. <laughs> so oh, so man. tell us, Jeff, your banditos these these new knives. Can ah, people yes. still get them or no? We shut, we shut it. We had to shut it off. It we had to shut it off on Sunday night. It just wow. becomes it. It was one of those things. Is like I gotta, I gotta make them all, and we, you know, I got six months to make them, and we're, I'm gonna start earlier rather than later. And there's a lot of organizing. We sold way more than we expected. Usually with these chef knife series, we're happy if we can sell twelve. I mean, we, you know, the Cuban knife Carl sold thirty six, and then this this one we did fifty. So I gotta make, uh, I gotta make a pile of knives, and it's very exciting and. And then, you know, I got a beef with other celebrity chefs, but that's another story. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, what what have you been up to this week? Um, well, it was it was kind of a crazy week. I learned I learned some some very different stuff from what I'm used to, you know. I, I'd consider myself a bladesmith as opposed to a blacksmith or anything else. And uh started off the week uh by moving into day eight, nine, and 10 of forging on that big Sasquatch trap that Alec and I are making or made, I guess we, f- we finished it up. So that was just crazy learning how to forge contraptions and, you know, mechanisms and stuff like that. I've never, never done anything even close to like that. Uh, and then on Thursday I headed off and I, I drove over to Washington to visit my friend Jason from Fireball Tool. Um, and he helped me recreate a piece for my 150 pound Fairbanks power hammer. Um, and, uh, so that was just a a very interesting time of, you know, he had this big three by five by 22 inch chunk of steel. It weighed like a hundred pounds. Uh, and we slapped it on his huge water jet, zipped out the rough shape, and then basically spent the next two days just playing with his massive hydraulic shaper. Uh, those videos looked awesome. Oh my gosh. I can't even tell you how much fun that was. It was, yeah, it was a real blast. I, I think power hammers are my favorite tools, but shapers are a very close second. I mean, man. So yeah, we, we had an absolute blast learning how to, you know, cut pretty complex tapers and stuff on it and cutting different angles with the shaper. And I mean, that design, the shaper design has been around for like well over like 120 years. Uh, and so it's super cool to see, to get to use one of those uh, and see like really how capable it is. Like it left leaves a much, much nicer surface finish than like a modern milling machine, which is just mm. super cool. So yeah, that was, that was an absolute blast. And then on my way back, I stopped off at Josh Smith's shop, who's a master smith over 
in uh, near Missoula, Montana, and spent the night there. Got a got a talk shop with him for a bit, and you know he's a cool guy. So I've had had a pretty busy week, but it it was an absolute blast. Well, one of the great things is is you know you you know you are really one of these you know if people don't know Will Stelter is a bladesmith. He's in Montana uh, currently. He's been a bladesmith for quite a while. You're also a young guy. Um, you were. I'm fascinated by how you started in because I know that you were your your mentor. One of your mentors was Salem Straub, which is like I mean you can't get much better than that. So how did you get into forging knives? So I did I did stock removal for probably like three or four years before I moved into forging. And I mean when I, when I say I did that for three or four years, it was it was really like six months of me like being really intentional and serious about knife making. I just kind of farted around as a you know. 12, 13, 14 year old, um, before that. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I got in, he say, I, I met Salem because I saw him on forged in fire actually. Huh. Um, and it zoomed in on his hometown, uh, in the middle of nowhere, Washington. And he lives eight minutes away from my uncle, um, who I was going to visit in like two weeks. So I found his website, found his email, shot him an email. Um, and the first time that we hung out, he taught me how to forge knives and so I, I knew that I had to had to get myself a forge after that. And I, I tried building one and it was a piece of trash. Um, and so I bought one from uh, Dave Lish and I still have that forge and it's it's frankly fantastic. So, yeah, wow. moved into forging, forging knives and, and other blacksmithing stuff from doing stock removal knife making. So, yeah. What's going on with the Pacific Northwest? I mean, it's like it's a hotbed of high level talent. It's the air, you know. It's not the, the air, air down there. It ain't the air. <laughs> it ain't the air. It is amazing. If you were to think about all the high-level bladesmiths um, and fabricators and blacksmiths out there, it is pretty shocking. You know, I, It's pretty I'm wild. Old, yeah. Well, yeah. You, I mean, it's I, guys like you who get this opportunity to have a mentor like Salem Straub and deal with guys like David Lish, it's like it's really – it's we talk about YouTube and, you know, importance of learning, but that whole – that that personal relationship you can have with these, you know, incredible people will propel you, you know, in general. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I certainly learned a lot from as hopefully as politely as possible inviting me inviting myself into into those those awesome people's shops. Um and for the most part, you know, bladesmiths are just like the all-time nicest people. Uh and they're just so open with information, which is one of the one of the things that I really, really love about the community. So, yeah, so long. I, I, I tried to be as respectful as possible, but I also did my best to invite myself to as many shops as possible. Um, <laughs> I, whatever it takes. Sometimes it's whatever it takes, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. takes. Absolutely. And what about, what about now, Will? Uh, are you still a sort of full-time bladesmith? How are you spending your days now, for those who don't know? So, for those who don't know, I... Uh, Back in November, um, my friend Alex Steele moved to Montana, um, and I've basically been working with him full time. We spent the first kind of couple months uh, setting up shop and get everything, getting everything how we wanted. Uh, and so basically, I, I work for Alec now, um, helping him produce YouTube content. So we just get a basically get to make fun stuff all day, which is uh, it's it's pretty sweet. We've we've got to make some pretty sweet stuff. Uh, we did a cavalry saber and. Uh, like the world's nicest screwdriver. So that had twisted mosaic Damascus and 24 karat gold and Yogo sapphires and stuff like that in it. Um, which it's, 
yeah, it's just it's just kind of ridiculous, but it's it's fun stuff, and we get to do entertaining things. So, yeah, I've I've really been enjoying that. A um, little bit different than the grind of being a full time bladesmith and just having to kind of crank out knives. Um, which honestly, like, I kind of miss that sometimes. Like, I I haven't really done a whole lot of knife work in the past couple months, and kind of getting back into the, uh, yeah, kind of really want to get back into doing a lot more knife stuff. So. Yeah. I saw you did a an Instagram live last night, and um, you were you were working on a knife then. So I think this knife is going up for auction, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the plan. So I've been working on this knife since, oh, I think last November or something like that, or or longer. Yeah, I've, I, it, it seems like I knife making has gone back to being a hobby for me while doing the YouTube stuff is kind of the job. And so mm-hmm. I, I kind of get to work on knives just a little bit here and there, and so. Uh, yeah, hopefully I've got, I'm going to have this stainless steel chef's knife up for auction, uh, pretty soon here. If I can get it glued up and finished, which at this point, the blades finished, the handles are rough shaped. I just gotta, I just gotta glue it up and, and, uh, and, and do the handle work on it. So hopefully it won't take too long, but you know, who knows? I've, I'm fascinated. I love, I've always loved, um, the content that you guys do, I, I love all the long, you know, the the, the episodic um, parts to these incredible builds. I am fascinated by this last build. This that you're, you know, you're. you're I'm not going to spoil it, but it's this. Let's basically let's just let's just cut the cut the cut the hooey. There you go. See, don't worry, Mrs. Stelter. I'm on top of this. The cut, we'll cut the hooey. <laughs> it's basically like a giant man trap, right? It, it's uh, like it a, was. It was. It was supposed to be a bear trap, right. essentially. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if it were, if you were to step in that thing, I mean, I don't know it's, that a single person could get out of it like by themselves. So it's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, I used to see those old like muskrat muskrat traps up here. It's two. It's like two jaws, and then there's a pressure plate, and then you pull down. You bait. Well, you, how you do it with the muskrat trap is you step on both sides, and then like open the jaws. And there's a lot of me- mechanics, there's a lot of mechanisms, there's a lot of spring tension. This p- particular project is the most fascinating to me in regards to the stuff that you and Alec have done before because it is the mo- it's more difficult, more different than just, you know, working about worrying about the, the heat treating and the, the blade work and then the f- final finish. This is all the mechanics of it. And I, I think that um, I was thrilled to see that you guys are kind of doing, this is a great project. I really, I'm enjoying to see what's going to happen next. Yeah, it was it was it was an absolute blast. Honestly, it's yeah, like I said, nothing nothing like I've done. I, I haven't done anything like it before whatsoever. I mean, pretty much my most complicated forging before that were like crappy pairs of tongs and stuff like that. So to have to, you know, we we were modeling after a smaller like coyote trap or something right. like that. Um, and so, but you know, you got to scale things up a little bit different. Uh, and so I. For one of those days, I was I was totally by myself, and you know, Alex is a fantastic blacksmith. He has no problem doing stuff like this. Um, but for me to be in the shop alone, trying to figure out how to forge, it was the day that I forged the like pressure plate and switch and stuff like that, which ended up scrapping that later on. But uh, spoiler alert. It, it, yeah, well, Come the video on, the video's out. The video's out. Yeah, it's, but I mean, some of these up. people they they want to see it now. They don't want to know that. I don't worry about that. Okay. Anyway, it well it it did kind of work, but you know, yeah, it was just an absolute blast and um boy was that I mean, I think that's the best workout I've had. We all last week we forged solid. Uh forged the whole week and it's like big forgings too, like I think that trap weighs something like almost a hundred pounds 
as is, which is, <laughs> yeah, man, I tell you what, that's, that's something different than forging a little knife, hanging on to 40 pounds of steel at a time, you know, when it's red hot, you know, foot all the way extended, trying to hit the treadle of the power hammer, man, it was, it was an absolute blast though. Um, yeah, got to swing a sledge an awful lot last week. So that's good. It's good for the blood. It was a good time. Exactly. So- yeah. I have a quick question for you. Now I know that you're from your you and your family are from the Pacific Northwest, and yep. I what made you move to I, I I'm I might be wrong. I'm under the impression that you moved to Montana before Alec decided to come to Montana. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, so what, I moved what out here. What brought you to Montana? Um, well, the first time I came to Montana, I was just a baby because we have, we've got family out here. So I I grew up visiting Montana, and uh, it's it's really just it's just insanely beautiful is, is the big thing. Um, so, and, and then when I was, uh, looking at, at schools to go to, um, for, for college, I, I, the, actually the only place that I toured schools was in Montana. I, I toured three schools out here. I only applied to uh, Montana state university and I got in. So I, I went part-time, uh, last year and, uh, and was doing knife work on the side again. And then, uh, Alec kind of decided he wanted to move here and he came, he came over to take a break, uh, and just go skiing and hang out for a bit, uh, in January. And so he gave me a call in February. I was joking around the whole time cause he's wanted to move to America for forever. I was joking around the whole time that he was going to move here, um, after he visited that, he, that he was going to like it so much. And, uh, that's, that's exactly what happened. He just, he just really liked Montana. So he gave me a call in February. He's like, Hey man, I want to, I want to move to Montana. I want you to work with me. So wow. I said, well, that, that sounds pretty good to me. So, uh, yeah, couple, couple months later, I was doing all the footwork on the ground, uh, finding shops and stuff for him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, then he got here in, in early November, he got all of his visas sorted out and stuff like that. And, and here we are six months later. So did you quit your university course? I did. Yeah. So I was, I was only going part-time last year and then, um, I finished out the year and, uh, moved into doing knives full-time until he got here kind of as just, uh, um, just a filler job almost. Cause I knew he was going to be here. Uh, so I was just hanging out in my own shop, just kind of futzing around for a couple months before he got here. So, mm. yeah, well, we, this could be a whole show where we just, we just quiz well, but, um, <laughs> Will has actually been on the show before. So way, way back, maybe, oh, maybe two yeah. years ago. That's right. Will was I actually, on the show. I was looking at this in our, like right before we started the call, it was May 23rd of 2018 so it was almost we're three wow. days short of it being exactly a year ago wow yeah wow. where you go where you go we should see you next year <laughs> sounds right. good to me so moving on with the show challenge, challenge the, the host. host jesus oh jesus oh jesus <laughs> mrs stelter you're gonna have to i'd fast forward in the next 10 minutes because i'm gonna be bad okay go ahead <laughs> So what's challenge the whole thing? So explain that for cocktail. Well, bit each again. each week. Well, with, this is the third weekend. So oh. the idea is that the hosts, and this is directly ripped off from what Will and Alec do, where they challenge each other to do these things. Oh, well, <laughs> at least you gave him credit. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we've done this. We've done this for two weeks now. So the idea is that one of the hosts, either myself, uh, Jeff, or Mareko, um, would set down a challenge for the other two hosts. So in the first week, I set the challenge for Jeff and Mareko to make a, a two-egg omelette as quickly as they could. 
this turned into a bit of a drama. So in oh. the end, in the end, I, Jeff won because Jeff was the quickest. And there was a lot of debate on, you know, using Philly. It, it, it was a bit crazy. So last week, Jeff threw it back to me and said, OK, let's do it again. So it was myself and Jeff doing another two egg omelette challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, this was a, I need, I need to, you know, stress that this was a speed challenge. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Go ahead. So I'm, Go I'm ahead. out shopping with my wife and I get yeah. last, must have been well, last Wednesday, maybe. Um, and I get, and I get a text on my, on my phone and it's Jeff saying my video is up. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I find a, a quiet corner of the shopping center and I, and I view Jeff's video. This video probably took about 15 minutes to view because his eggs took so damn long to make. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. This is outrageous. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep going. So keep I going. get home and I, and I film mine. Um, and I think I was 42 seconds for the for this two-egg two omelette. Um, so then we put up on, on Instagram, you know, who wins the challenge, myself or Jeff. Right. And clearly, clearly I'd won because I was 42 <gasps> seconds and ah. Jeff was like two millennia. He, he uh, took like forever. Excuse <laughs> me. Excuse me. Excuse me. When can I speak? I'm going to speak go, now. Go, go, go um, for it. Number one, you were two hours late. That's number one. And number two, that was an omelette. Of course it was an omelette. You didn't even you broke eggs and put it in the pan and you slid it out onto a plate. There was no folding, there was no there was no nothing. You didn't even season it and the most outrageous part of that video Mrs. Stelter, hold your ears. That bullshit that bullshit part of that video was you had your kids in the back on the table. And the best, the only, and I was like, and all everyone's making this whole point. Oh, look at the cute kids! Look at the cute kids! In the middle of the video, the kids, these two beautiful twins, look at each other, grab each other's hands, and they're staring at each other like, "This is some horseshit." This is this is this is my dad. My dad. What is he doing? This is some nonsense. And now, Mrs. Stelter, please re resume. You can resume your listening. I I lost it. I'm sorry. So, so it boils down to the fact that we don't really have a winner this week. Oh, we, are we you don't kidding have... me? That's crazy. <laughs> I, are you totally deranged? <laughs> you, so you, 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 there's no winner because why? <laughs> because it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You win now. That answer makes you win. I give it to you. I'll put my hat down. That's a perfect answer. You win, Craig. You uh, win. I'm, I'm too competitive. I, that, even though I love that answer, and I, I'll, I'll concede. I'll concede. <laughs> so even then, when uh, we get together as a family, where my whole family is super competitive. I knew and it. Let's let's say we're doing a you sort of a you know a, a traditional roast on a, on a Sunday afternoon. That there'll be competitions going on, you know, who does the best potatoes, who does, you know, and we all have to vote, and it, it turns into this big deal. We're all just super competitive. Well, but, yeah, I mean, Will, you watch those videos. I mean, what, what's your what's your opinion? Well, you know, I'm I'm an American, and so <laughs> you know, if it doesn't have if it doesn't have stuff in it, it's, it's just eggs at that point. It's not an omelet, you know? No, so no. I'm with we, Jeff on this one. We kind of established on the first time I did it with, I did that, I went with the traditional French omelet in the first video. Oh, let's stop talking about eggs for a while. But it's like, you know, 
Craig, I'll, I'll, you know, even though the fans felt like I'd won and I felt that I had won and clearly based on the rules I had won, you won. So congratulations. I'll take it. I don't care. I'll take <laughs> yeah, it. I don't care. You don't care. I'm so happy. A win's care. a win. In the history books, it'll go down as a win. That's what that happens. makes me so happy that you don't care. <laughs> That's awesome. So I did ask Morocco to set a challenge for this week. Um, oh, you did? I did, but he's on the road, so he's been way too busy. Yeah. So um, for those who don't know, Mareko is moving across country. Um, he's got all his stuff in a big van, and he's got his kid with him and his wife. So it's, it's a big, big upheaval. And this week, he also launched his, his calendar. Um, so tell him about the calendar, Jeff. You know. All right. Now, me. listen, everybody. Mareko has built, has made, designed with his wife this beautiful calendar. It's called Artisans of Steel. Now, this calendar is special for a couple reasons. One is, is it's filled with some of the best knife makers, and the pictures are beautiful. You got our, uh, some of the knife bladesmiths, Stuart Branson, Don Nguyen, Lynn Ray, Shane Taylor, just to name a few. Now, what he did was he made these beautiful, this beautiful calendar based off of these knife makers, but he also changed the dates. So the dates aren't from normally from December to Jan uh, January to December. This one is based around the blade show because a lot of these knife makers, they, they base all of their time around blade show. So it starts July 19th and it goes to June 2020. My mistake. It goes from July 2019 and it goes to June 2020. This is a great opportunity to you know support our friend Mareko. Um, if you go to Etsy.com backslash shop backslash Smith and Bard, or if you go to Mareko, you know Momasi Fire Arts. If you click on, he's got a link. Go get yourself uh, one of these. Uh, it's called the Artisans of Steel. Go get yourself a calendar. Support our guy. He's got some really top-notch stuff here and. The calendar also has a lot of dates for upcoming knife shows around the world. It also has knife shows, uh, hammerings and stuff like that. Um, they're going to be shipped. The orders are going, to, as as far as the this, this shop says, the, sh the orders are going to close June 9th. So hop on now. Get yourself squared away, and then they're going to ship out at the end of June. So... Mareko is a, a great guy, Mamasi Fire Arts. He's done a lot for this show, and I know that he's helped a lot of people in regards to little tips and tricks and stuff. So I think that it would be great if we all chipped in to, you know, support him. And, you know, it's I bought mine, and not to mention, I went to go get mine. I ordered mine, and then he's got a discount on all his hats and shirts and sweatshirts, so mm. I picked up a hat too. So uh, Smith & Bard. Um, you, there's a link for a link on his Instagram page, but it's off Etsy, etsy.com slash uh, shop slash Smith and Bard. Go get yourself Artisans of Steel. Get yourself some duds. Support our boy. Onward to the Pacific Northwest for my man. Yeah, yeah. And he's doing this big, big journey, and he's got his kid in the back as well. So no, I, They're traveling separately. I think I think they, they really use their are. Heads. Well, okay, that makes sense. That he's makes sense. Uh, from last time I checked, he was you know his wife had said that he's sleeping at a truck stop, so he's he's hauling ass across country, stopping in to see other knife makers. I know he's making plans to see other people, and he's he's going to be here on Wednesday. Oh, he is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, that's fantastic, and he's he's doing the that's a hard that's a hard haul from Connecticut to the Pacific Northwest. God bless you, my brother. Oh yeah. So let's talk about one of our sponsors, Clarix Metalworks. Um, so for those who haven't seen, I, I got one of their their grinders a couple of weeks ago, and this thing is amazing. It's amazing. 
And I mean, I was I was at Tiers this weekend, and I saw lots of grinder manufacturers. And let's say none of them looked as strong and as durable as this Clarix Metalworks one that I have. So they've got we've got a special promo code for our listeners, which is Knife Talk Five. So you can get five percent off any of the grinders that they do. Um, they all come with a VFD, different configurations of motor and all the rest of it. They're just amazing. They're just so versatile. So go and take a look at clarixmetalworks.com. Um, and I'd say even if you're in the US, because these are European-based, but they ship to the US at an amazing rate. And, I mean, they're very, they're very affordable anyway. So go and take a look, clarixmetalworks.com. And remember to use the promo code KNIFETALK5. And I know a couple of our listeners have done that just last week. So they're, they're the clever ones. Follow them. Fantastic. Are we ready to get on with the show? Finally. All the time. All the time. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> this is the segment in the show where we have our listeners contribute. So if you were to follow us on Instagram, Knife Talk Podcast, and every so often we say DM questions, and then if we usually compile them and then read them off it's hey man can i ask you a question and, and it gives you an opportunity to uh interact so luckily we have will here to help us out we got some good questions so the first question to hey man can i ask you a question is uh, directed at me actually so here you go uncle monroe asks hey man can i ask you a question uh is there a trick to doing kydex sheaths for knives with a harpoon clip or a profile similar to similar to uh scimitar slicer that's a, one of a couple of my knives. So basically, he's asking how you do Kydex um, with like a little X. You know, the problem with Kydex is there's a lot of sometimes you get a little bit extra moving. You know, the best part about Kydex is it it com- it compresses around the finger guard of your knife or the heel of your knife or whatever. And if you have the harpoon clip, sometimes you can get caught up. Do you guys do any of that, or should I just answer direct and we go on to the next question? I don't do Kydex at all, so yeah, you, you answer that. I haven't done Kydex for, for years, so yeah. Well, there's two you. different ways you can do Kydex, and I started doing Kydex because I like to be able to do all parts of the knife and be able to ship it directly here uh, out of my shop. So what I did was I was looking in. There's two different ways. There's the pancake style where you have two pieces of Kydex. You heat them up in an oven and then you make a, a neoprene press and then you smush them together and then, you know, you have a bottom and a top or you do what's called the pancake style where you or the taco style. My bad. The taco style. And you fold it over. And if you fold it over, what happens is, is it's kind of it can tighten up around the spine of your knife. So what he's basically saying is he try. I guess um, what happens is, is it kind of binds up so it's hard to pull out that uh, the harpoon clipper. It's, a, it's like extra. Mm. Um, so what I suggest is if you have something with the spine isn't flat, it's got a lot of things that are going to catch on the kydex, when you fold it over in the taco, what I do is I drop it down a little bit, and then that'll give you the clearance to pull everything out. So when I fold it over, I fold it over, I get it kind of close to being tight, and then I'll actually position the knife, you know, maybe three sixteenths down. So then when that, that crease won't kind of bind with uh, the the other parts of the Kydex. There you go, Kydex talk. Cool, that's done. That's done. Done. Um, Sorry DK Ren asks, hey man, when doing San Mai with high carbon core and a stainless jacket, can any stainless be used, like even like stainless in a kitchen appliance? What do you think? Um, I like Sanmai. You know, I think it's a it's a great way to get good steel um, on on your edges. Um, and you know, the different different grades of stainless will 
you know, affect like carbon migration and stuff differently. So I I haven't haven't really messed with it myself, but I think sandmi is cool. And what do you think about using just any sort of stainless? Like you said, you said here about using you know kitchen appliance stainless steel just to just to wrap that jacket. So, you know, I like to know what I'm working with. I'd say yeah. most kitchen stainless stuff is going to be like 302, 302 or three sixteen something something kind of like that. I personally like the uh, the carbon migration look, so I would stray away from from using random steels just because you don't know how it's going to act. Um, I would I would stick to using stuff that you know what it is. Personally, mm-hmm. I like uh like Salem Straub uses a lot of four ten and stuff like that um, for for his high carbon core stainless clad sand mine. And and with that, if you don't put a layer of nickel in there, you get the my, the carbon from the high carbon steel migrating into the stainless steel and it leaves this kind of cloudy smoky sort of look um and it actually so it, it it ends up you've got black along the edge and then you've got the bled out carbon on in the carbon steel so that turns from black to white and then dark in the stainless steel and then back to white so it's it's i don't know if i explained that very well but it's a crazy look and it looks super cool and metallurgically it's it's pretty sweet um so again i w- i would stick to using stuff that you know what it is but you know if 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 you can only get you know scrap stainless then you know might as well give it a shot but yeah and, and if you're gonna steel be is cheap steel is cheap i mean and it, I it's mean, so cheap <laughs> new jersey steel baron who are one of our sponsors they'll they'll ship you stuff too very very cheaply so yeah i mean mm-hmm. don't scrimp on the materials if you get if you want to make something high quality that's what i'd say that was awesome yep. answer, Will. We got we picked the right guy. We picked the right yep. guy to fill in today. Man, that was awesome answer. And, hey, D. Kren, don't cut up your your refrigerator to make a Sami, you know, knife. Come on, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Next question comes from simple life kind of guy. Hey, cutie patooties, can I ask you a question? I recently finished a knife that had a heavy inspiration drawn from Jeff Fader's Cuban knife. While there are subtle differences in the finishing and the handle material pins. The basic shape of the knife is completely unashamedly ripped off of Jeff's knife. My question is, what level of credit is considered etiquette to the original maker? A tag? A mention? A link to their page? My firstborn son is a sacrifice? All right, just relax. Also, is it annoying for you guys to be tagged or mentioned in someone else's work? Thanks, gents. Absolutely love the podcast. Well, I've got to say, before anybody answers, that Jeff's... um Cuban knife, which we've already talked about. I think that has inspired so many people. We're seeing so many of these um, sort of harpoon clip designs. And um, even myself, just this week, I, I've just finished work on a new design for a steak knife with one. But I think it's one of those things where things come in trends. And I think Jeff has definitely set that trend on this knife. Well, I don't necessarily, I appreciate you saying that. And I actually had a conversation recently with um, our buddy Jonathan Porter who apparently is waiting patiently for this podcast to come out he just texted me I'm like I'm the station manager so so I didn't come up with the harpoon clip I didn't design this design is I'll just talk about the Cuban knife real quick and then we can talk about I like this topic of conversation when when I designed the Cuban knife and I was talking to Carlos he and I were talking on Instagram Live, and he says, hey, Fader, I want you to design me a knife. And I said, all right, great. I'll make you whatever you want. What do you want it to look like? And he goes, I want it to look sinister. I want it to look, you know, I want it to get rusty looking. I want it to look badass. I want it to look sinister. Uh, and I wrote, no problem. So I took one of my designs, 
and then this is I took one of my designs and then I started drawing it up and then I made some changes and fighting I was I was inspired by you know fighting knives like Nick Wheeler makes and um, uh, Jason Knight makes and looking at these classic fighting knives there's a little bit of a curl in the handle there's also that harpoon clip but the problem is is like fighting knives don't work as culinary knives so I had to kind of take aspects of you know something that's standard I mean I certainly didn't invent this concept but then we kind of positioned it so it was closer to being culinary knife and then i also had to make arrangements based on this i only at the time i didn't know if this was going to be something or not and when i made it i was like All right, i got two inch steel here so i got to make sure if you got two inch steel sometimes that that harpoon clip uh, it wants to change the point of where the termination where your point is so i had to kind of work within the confines of what i had and then once I designed it, I showed it to him and he freaked out and we loved it and we started making it. We also named it. I, I think that I think that it's important to to say that, you know, I, I named this knife, we sold it a lot, Carl pushed it around a lot, we did a good job with it and it was inspiring to people. I'm flattered. I'm flattered and I think that it's important to, you know, say, do your thing, I'm with you. But I'm interested in what you guys have to say in regards to uh, people's originality and are people do people get mad and how do you come up with ideas and you know where do we go from here? Hmm. There's um, we've talked about this in the past. There's only so many ways you can make a sharp and pointy thing. There's only so many shapes mm -hmm. that you can make. But if we go back to your Cuban, I think the reason that it sort of kickstarted a number of other I wouldn't say copies, but things that are heavily inspired by that. Is, was your branding? I mean, you, not only did you make the knife, you gave it a brand, you gave it a name, the Cuban. Right. And that, that was, was huge. That, that shape is now the Cuban, which, you know, most people don't do with their, with their knife style. You know, this is another knife that I've made and, and so on. So actually branding it as a name has given people something to sort of refer to, you know, so that, you know, this is a bit like the Cuban because it's got that bit, that right. bit. So I think that was really clever on your part. But with regards to, you know, copy in and you know find inspiration that kind of thing i think it's completely fine to you know look at other people's work and take inspiration from it i mean it's it's, it's one thing doing that but this you know it's a very entirely different thing if you're taking a photo of the knife tracing it out and making a direct copy that's just you know that's not on but i think looking at somebody else's work and seeing how you, how you could change that to to be something that you can do or something that you can put maybe your your little bit of design into as well. I think there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you yeah, think, Will? Will? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Will? <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I mean, I agree completely with what Craig said. I mean, there's only so many ways that you can design a two-inch wide chef's knife, you know. Mm. Um, that being said, you can still do it. You can still switch things up enough. Um, I mean, I've had people tag me, Hey, I took inspiration from Will Stelter on this one. And I think that's more than enough because that, that was the original question, right? Like how much do you, how much credit do you give? I think that tagging, Hey, I gave, I took inspiration from Jeff Fader or Will Stelter or Craig Lockwood on this one. Um, I think that that is more than enough. Like you don't need to, you know, sacrifice your firstborn child to them or anything like that. Um, just, just letting people know that, Hey, I wasn't the one who came up with this exact original design. You know, I took some inspiration from it. That being said, I also wouldn't wouldn't encourage people who are making knives to directly copy um, at all. I think that, yeah, you can take inspiration, but, you know, make it your own. You know, switch up the handle a little bit, change the blade shape a little bit. Um, 
just because there is, I mean, you, you still can switch things up and, and, and changing things is going to make you a better maker as you learn how to design things better and have good flow and proportionality. So taking inspiration from people who already do know how to design things well, who know how to, you know, make a knife flow well. So it looks like one sleek, uh, unit. Um, yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely encourage you to, the, the listeners to, to go ahead and, you know, if you want to take inspiration, great, go for it. Tag the people you're taking inspiration from, but also, you know, switch it up just a little bit, just that you're not, you know, growing stagnant in your design process. I, I also think that, you know, it's interesting because we don't talk about my whole, you know, the whole art versus art versus craft thing. When I was a sculptor, um, and we were dealing, I was dealing with galleries and I was dealing with, you know, art people. They wanted to see your, my body of work. They wanted to see, <clears throat> pardon me, sculptors or artists body of work. And the reason why is they want to see where things come from. Like there's a natural evolution between how you make work and how it travels over time and how previous work have affected certain work. And that's, that, that's, that's kind of what people want to say in regards to how you're a, an artist or you're a painter. If one day you're just doing, you know, paintings of, uh, fruit plates and then the next day you're a performance artist, there's this, there needs to be this degree of like intentionality. That's what people are looking for in terms of intentionality. So there were times where I would see, uh, artists do these paintings and we were in these postgraduate critiques and we'd see the people doing these paintings and then eh, nothing special. And then the next week, the same guy, another guy would come in with something super similar. It was very clear that there was this taking this inspiration, but at the same time it was like, all right, well, we know where this came from. And what, what I try to do is, is if you take my older knives and you look, take my newer knives, I don't, go out of nowhere like there's always a connection between the knives in terms of the sizes and the shapes and the handles to the point where i want to be able to to see the this this the every single knife as an evolution to the so you can kind of identify my knives because you kind of see little things that are make make sense and i, I think that a lot of times when we talk about if we are we artists or we craftspeople, you really want to it should be it should be to have a very sincere relationship with your work, I think it's very important to have a real conversation with where is this coming from and where is this going and what's this relationship between what I'm doing and um, where I'm coming from. And then I'll leave it there. But um, look, I'm, uh, you know, I also, as a sculptor, we I learned from this uh, glassblower who passed away recently, Stephen Ralph Powell, how important naming things are. Sculpture in general is naming has always been incredibly important. And I think that like you were saying before with the Cuban knife, it became something that, and I, and I, I was very conscious of, you know, how I, how I, you know, we named it and everything. Blah, 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 blah. blah. I'm sorry about that guys. <laughs> yeah. Good answers. Good answers. Yeah, we'll see. James Watson Knives on Instagram asks, "Hey man, can I ask you a question? I've been, I've seen people have their grinder set up at different heights. What height do you prefer, and why?" That's a good question. Oh uh, well, I've had my grinders at a couple different heights, uh, but usually I kind of like that the top of the contact wheel for the platen to be at, I'd say, right around nipple height for you. You know, um, that way, you know, I grind kind of low with the. Uh, both arms kind of tucked in close to my sides. Um, that way I've got a lot of support over it. I'm not going to get chattering on the blade as I grind. Uh, and, uh, and so, and so I'm holding the blade kind of maybe right above my belly button or kind of right around there. And that way I can see the shadow. I can see where I'm grinding on the blade. Um, and I've got good control over it. I stand really close to the grinder. 
so I'd, I'd say kind of right around mid chest height is about right for me. Um, I know some people have them higher. Some people have them lower. Uh, hmm. I know when I, when I go to Salem Straub shop, he's like six foot two or three. And so his grinder is a little bit higher for me. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grinding a little bit lower down on the platen than I would on say a grinder that I'd set up myself. Love that what answer. What about you, Jeff? Uh, same thing. I, I like mine on the higher side. I, I like, mm. you know, when my el- when my elbows are up, yeah, my the knife is kind of mid-chest. So, yeah, I, I, I'm in total agreement. I've seen guys like, you know, I've seen Nick Anger grind. He has his grinder low. He looks like he, he's hunched. He's so tall, he's hunched over like the letter C. You know, mm. he, <laughs> I, I, I hate that. I, I want to stand up straight. I, I don't want to have to, you know, crank my neck down so far. So yeah. I have yeah. my... And Mareko actually, last time he was here, he got bad because of how high they are. I offered to give him a milk crate. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are pretty high because I, I'm not very tall myself. But um, I was having terrible problems with my back. So if I was there at the grinder all day, by the end of the day, I'd just be, I'd be, I'd be in agony. So I raised them a bit. So my, my countertops are 1 meter 20, and then the grinder sits on top. So you're probably looking at another maybe 30 centimeters a foot above that. Um, and that made a huge difference. So as well as the the amazing shoes that I wear in the in the workshop, <laughs> I've got <laughs> awful, the um, the padded fr- <laughs> the, the padded flooring. Um, and just by having the uh, the grinder up high, you're not sort of yeah, you're not you know bending over and leaning over. Um, so I'd say it's probably my my I, I use a table rest, a tool rest, and that's probably about nipple height for me. Um, so if really? I wanted, yeah, it's pretty high. So if I wanted to put my arms out completely straight in front of me and lock my elbows, um, which I occasionally do when I'm doing some some sort of profiling, um, it's generally about that height. Wow. Um, which I know is a lot higher than a lot of other people, but it, it seems to work with my back. Otherwise, I'm just in agony. It, it's it's pain. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. It'll come to you when you're a bit older, Will. <laughs> when I finally hit 13 years old, you know. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, speaking of which, nobody gets worse questions on Instagram Live than Will oh, Stelter. I was embarrassed for you, Will, watching. I was embarrassed for you. It's brutal. These Jeez. are the worst questions all the time, all the time. It's like I, back in the day, we used to go to sit at the subway. There'd be a, uh, a musician sitting at the subway platform, and he'd play the same song over and over again. Because every time people get on the train, and then they, and the new people would show up. It's the same thing with Will. Poor Will's got to sit through there to get the same questions. How old are you? Do you work for Alec? What are you doing? Are you going to be in Fortune Fire? It's just like, oh my uh, gosh, it's brutal. Okay, brutal. I, there was there was a while back on the show, you guys had said that a lot of the time people ask you to say things to Alec. And yeah. I think I messaged with you guys about this. You know, you guys can't even, you can't even talk. Lit- oh my goodness. Where's I think, Alec? I think Where's at Alec? Least a solid, a solid 40% of the questions on my live streams is where's Alec. Yeah. And you that, do like a good every, live stream, by every the way. single time. You do a good live stream. I love, I love your live streams. I think your live streams are great. However, I get like Thank when you. I have to look at people's questions, just like I think I even went after some of your listeners at one point because I was like, these questions yeah. are brutal. Brutal. Jeff always comes in, he's like, wow, you guys really suck at asking questions. And it's like every single time he says that. Oh, man. Wow. Comes in, insults my followers, makes them all sad. <laughs> I don't cur. I don't, I don't say naughty words, though. I'm That's very, true. you know, I'm polite. Mrs. Stelter, I'm polite. I'm still being polite. <laughs> 
All right, let's oh, hit man. the next question. I'm going to hop down to Kyle Pastrell. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? When doing an integral integral bolster, I know I get my my balls broken. Pardon me, pardon me, Mrs. Deldred. That was a slip up. Don't don't be mad when I get my chops <laughs> busted because I say I say integral integral, and I know it's integral integral. I know it is. I got this. I dyslexia. can't pronounce it either. Don't worry. I get. Well, hey, listen. By the way, you know what Jerry Fisk calls it. He writes it integral. So if it's okay with Jerry Fisk, it's okay with me. So he says, when doing an <clears throat> integral bolster with hidden tang, would you suggest putting a couple of small pins at the bottom of the bolster to the handle to hold it in place while shaping for easy disassembly, or do you think bedding the tang with wax is a better method? We've talked about this before. Bedding the tang is where you you drill your hole in the in the in the in the handle, and then you coat the tang with wax. You pour your epoxy in. You shove in the the you shove in the tang, and then as it hardens, you heat the bolster up just enough to melt the wax, and then you have a perfect indexing. Yep. What's your opinion, Will? I think that's the way to go. I think that if you're trying to, I, I he's talking about drilling into the bolster and putting pins in there, right? Right. Yeah, I think that's way too hard, man. I mean, trying to fixture your knife up so you can drill a hole, like you got to get the knife straight up and down. Yeah, I'm I'm a bed the tang kind of guy myself. I think that that's way easier, way faster, and you know, yeah, I think that's just the way to go, hands down. It is really it is an awesome method. I learned that originally from Nick uh, Nick Wheeler, and then Mareko did it again, and it was like, I mean, it is is pretty hard to beat. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I do that on all my knives, actually, all my hidden tang knives. Um, I mean, I can, even if I have like a really tight fit on it, I'll, I'll still bed the tang um, just because. I have a and question. It, it, have you ever seen this move? Sometimes people oversize the hole in the tang, in the tang of the knife, and then they'll put like a bronze slug into oh, yeah. that hole. And then I've done that. And then, and then, and then, what happens is when you're drilling through, instead of worrying about, because the the funny thing is, is when you're drilling through wood and then it hits steel, if your bit isn't unbelievable, you have a op, a real opportunity to, uh, you know, the the drill bit will wallow around and then it'll open up the hole in the wood. So these guys, they'll, you know, you'll you'll drill through the brass and then through the wood and it won't wallow out the wood. Yep. No, that works. That works super super well. And. uh yeah, no, I I really like that method. Um, yeah, so you basically rather than drilling like your I don't know I I like smaller pins. So rather than drilling your 16th inch pinhole, you drill like a three sixteenth inch pinhole, um, and then you countersink it on both sides and peen a little piece of brass in there so it it holds itself in um, as you as you're working it, and then you can flatten it down to the tang and it still holds itself in. And then yeah, you just drill straight through. It also it's also a good it's a good fix if you. If you biff the hole, you know, you can, you can widen it out with a three sixteenths inch bit and, uh, and you don't have to worry so much. Like if you, if you really messed up, you can, you can fix it a little bit easier. So that's, that's one of the knife making is all about fixing your mistakes. And that's, that's one of them where you can either avoid a mistake or you can fix a mistake very easily by doing that method. It's a dynamite method. I've been waiting to talk about that for a while. I, I saw a few guys. I think, I, I think I saw, I think, uh, I think that was from Kurt Holland. I think I yep. saw that from Kurt Holland. Yep, me too. All right. 
So I think it's time to talk about one of our sponsors, Combat Abrasives. Now, they've been sponsoring the show for some time now, and I use the belts, Jeff used the belts, Mareko used the belts. I know lots of our audience are using Combat Abrasive belts, particularly their shredders, which are their sort of 36 and 60 grit um, ceramic-based belts. They're, they're incredible, incredible. But we've got an offer for you, so if you go to combatabrasives.com and use the promo code KNIFETALK10, you'll get 10% off belts um epoxies they're doing handle material they're doing all sorts there now so go and take a look at combat abrasives and remember to use the uh the promo code knife talk 10 let's carry on with some more questions so the next one is from jr knife maker who's from my hometown back in cardiff hey cuties can i ask you a question i've been doing a batch of carbon steel knives my oil gets progressively hotter now, he understands that there's an ideal temperature for quenching oil. So if that's the case, should we be waiting for it to cool slightly before doing the next knife? What do we think? I don't really have a whole lot of experience doing doing batch quenching of, yeah, my, the most that I've done at a time is like two or three or something like that. So I don't, I don't have a ton of experience with that. I think generally you want to shoot for, at least with Parks 50, somewhere around 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 120, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. And so, I'd say... Oil is again. Oil can be pretty cheap. So if if you find you're doing batches because you know it'll save you time and save you money in the long run, um, mm-hmm. just get just get a bunch of small tanks. What what do you do, Jeff? In that, I, in that when I did the when I did the Cuban knife run and I was heat I would heat treat in batches of three, and then I would um, have a secondary short tank. And you can nowadays a few you know ten years ago five ten years ago. Or five years ago, when you bought Parks 50 or Parks AAA, you were buying five-gallon buckets. Now you can buy mm-hmm. a one-gallon bucket. And for especially for a knife, you don't necessarily need to have five gallons in order to heat treat it. Um, so I had built a couple of extra quench tanks and just monitor the heat and then be very clear that, I, you know, at one point I even thought about, like, if they got too hot, I was thinking about putting them in a bucket the quench tanks in a bucket and surrounding it with ice just to bring the temperature down. But yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Whatever that dog said, I'm that dog. But uh, so should should we explain why why exactly you don't want your oil to get too hot? Go ahead, do it. So I didn't know this for a really long time. I knew that you wanted your oil to be at a specific temperature, but the reason is is that the thicker the oil, the thicker the viscosity, uh, and so thinner stuff like thin oil or water builds up when you quench a knife you know it builds up bubbles and they call that the vapor jacket so if it's a really thick viscosity it builds up builds up a much thicker vapor jacket and wants to hold on to it more because it it has to work more to push those bubbles up so basically the more you quench knives if you do a batch of knives that quench is going to be getting faster and faster and faster um as as the oil gets thinner and thinner and thinner Uh, and so you want to keep it at a good temperature so it's going to cool down not too fast to crack your knife basically yeah, that was a good answer right there. So you should be monitoring. We use use the oil, you know quench within the the standards of the particular oil you're supposed to be using. Hmm. Exactly. And any steel manufacturer, they'll they'll have all the details online. You'll be able to see you know the ideal temperature for your oils and that kind of thing. Well, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you know that's that's part of this whole thing. It's like a lot of I get a lot of guys who say to me, "Is it okay if I use corn oil? Is it okay if I use motor oil? It's okay." It look, you, you get to this point where, you know, 10 degrees makes all the difference. So you got to be, you know, some of this stuff, unfortunately, you can't cheap get cheap. Yep. 
And really, I mean, I quenched in vegetable oil for the longest time, but honestly, like $150 for five gallons of oil. It, and it's something that like, it, it's such an important step in your knife making is the heat treat. Um, and so it's, you know, you might as well be quenching into something good, you know, right. like, yeah, you can get, you can get a hardened knife by quenching in a vegetable oil, but why not, you know, you know, sell the extra knife and, and buy yourself some good quenching oil. I think it's, I think it's well worth it. And you don't have to get a pallet full. You can buy a gallon. I you know, yeah. companies that sell them by the gallon now. So you don't have to go ahead and, you know, you don't have to drop to get, you know, whatever. All right. We got that it's, squared away. It's a supplementary question to that. Go ahead. Um, how long are you keeping your oil? Kevin Cashin, I was watching a video from Kevin Cashin. He says one of the things that people don't realize is that it kind of dissolve, it kind of breaks down. So after a certain amount of time, you should be monitoring your oil and just be be very clear. I've started to kind of like take a look at it to see how you know, like almost like you know, motor oil. You want to see if it's clear. I don't know exactly. I'm very conscious of how long I've been quenching in my in my oil, and you know, to see when I should be replacing it. Hmm. But I don't know the exact details. I'm a broad strokes guy. I'm not. I'm not I a, thought you were asking how long you have the knife in the oil after, like, as you quench it. Oh, no, no. I meant how long? How long would you keep the oil? But again, that is a good question. Will yeah. answer oh, that okay. question. Oh well, really quick. I'll answer the first one. I've had my oil for two years. Um, I should. I don't. I don't know when to replace it. I don't know anything about that. Uh, but I count to. Uh, I count to either eight or ten, depending on the knife. If it's a thicker knife that I don't think is going to warp, I'll count to to ten. Um, and if it's a like a chef's knife, something that can warp, uh, I'll take it out and I do it. So you do a mark quench. So before the hardens, before the steel is fully hardened, you can take it out and you've got a couple seconds before it cools down to four hundred degrees, and you can kind of bend it back into straight uh, before it's permanently warped. And you can do like shimmed tempers and stuff like that, but. Um, yeah, I usually do eight seconds for chef's knife and ten seconds for smaller stuff and or or, or thicker stuff that's not going to warp. That's a that is one of the things that I learned well from Kevin Cashin, uh, also Nick Rossi. This whole idea of you don't have to you don't, when you quench your knife, you don't have to keep it. You don't have to get to you know room temperature before you pull out of the oil. You have a you have this specific amount of time. While the austenite is converting to martensite, you have this little window mm-hmm. where you can kind of straighten any problems, and that has changed the way I make knives. I'm not as I'm not as panicked and uh, clenched up when I'm quenching because I usually counsel about what's so funny. Well, that was that was <laughs> Mrs. Stelter. Relax. Don't worry. I didn't say anything <laughs> terrible. I, I usually count to about thirteen, and then I pull out and straighten it up, and then and then I'll finish uh, quenching after I make sure it's 100 percent straight. Yeah, so but you can pull out that knife as soon as it cools down to 900 degrees. The uh, the critical zone is that in there is is 1475 to 900 for most carbon steels. Very, good. we got the right guy, Craig. We got the that right guy. answer. We got Jake the right has guy. Had the answer of a lifetime there. Yeah, that was an awesome <laughs> answer. All right, this one. This is a little fun question here. This is from Matthew Lee 67. Think I got a fun question, LOL. If you could pick one bladed tool in an end of the world or breakdown of polite society scenario, what would it be? You have oh, one knife for the end bladed of the world. Tool. Yeah, bladed, bladed tool. Yeah, bladed tool. Bladed tool. Um, I'd say you'd be a little hatchet. Um, I've got this little Grand Spores hatchet, which I love, and I use that a lot. So, yeah, that's the one. 
but you know, there's there's no zombie apocalypse happening. But if if so, that's what I'd use. Yeah, these guys got to worry about cancer. They're not gonna worry about the zombies, heart disease, <laughs> heart disease, all that. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Will uh, I'm a, I'm a one kukri knife. man. I, oh. I, I yeah, I'm a, I'm a kukri guy. I like kukris an awful lot. Um, I I made a 5160 kukri this summer, and I think if I could have anything, it would probably be that. Had had some good weight behind it, chopped like an absolute monster but you've still got you know that that detail work that you can do uh down below but yeah i think that that would be a, a good knife to have yeah but you can't cook with that what, what are you cooking in this oh, oh first off oh, yes, well, you, you don't could. eat you, could, you don't eat during the breakdown society you could you could fry an egg on the side of that thing it was yeah but wide. you can't you got that with that <laughs> angle with the angle of the knife you can't hit the bottom of the board okay well you just use the you just use the front end then Ugh. you know I thought about this because innovate, uh, adapt, overcome. Uh, I know, I know. Innovate. He's, he, <laughs> poor Will. Poor Will. At the end of the apocalypse, he's gonna have half the knife hanging over the side. He's gonna be on his knees to make sure that the front part, part of the Gurker knife, thank you very much, was uh, makes it down to the to the minces minces onions in the apocalypse. Who the hell's he, mincing onions in the he's apocalypse? Not mincing he's, onions. Not. He, he's a mountain dude. He's gonna be out there killing bison. <laughs> Eat carrion? <laughs> He's just gonna like chew on carrion. Not even to cook it. You're not gonna start a fire either. I start the fire, but I mean, you use you use your kukri, you, you chop apart your animal, you throw it over the fire, boom, zombie apocalypse meal. There you go. All right. Well, I have. I definitely. I definitely. I definitely thought about this, and I, I think I'm gonna go with uh, Ed Jitz's favorite knife, the the Serbian knife. I think that Serbian chef knife. That's Ed Jitz. Our good listener. He loves that knife. I'm just kidding. He actually hates it. But um, <laughs> I will tell a funny story. I'll tell a funny story. Uh, my last art show was in uh, 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 Key West. And I had this art show in Key West. It was this big event. And they hired this guy whose name was the Coconut Man. And the Coconut Man was this uh, young uh, West Indian guy who showed up. He had a bicycle. And attached to the bicycle was a cart. And on the cart, he just had coconuts that he would you know he climbed trees and in the keys and cut down these coconuts and then he cut up the he'd have a machete and with the with the machete he'd cut the tops and hand it to the party people and it was very exciting and he cutting in his hand blah 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 so that night there was this event and everyone was hungry and, and the coconut man says you know it was a it was like a party and something like that and then there wasn't any food and the coconut man says well i'll make some food so he had this in his cart he had this little camp stove and then he was he had some lentils and he had some this and that and the other thing. He was cutting up with the machete. He was cutting up the 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 coconut and coconut the coconut water and the lentils and it was a and then he started serving it to his friends and you know it was like it was like a little side thing going on. He wasn't asking for money. He was just like being very you know communal. So we're eating this food and this food is unbelievable. It's like this coconut flavored lentils with rice and he cooked everything with this machete. So I said to myself, that is unbelievable. He didn't have a chef's knife. He just used this machete. So I'm so hungry that I had a plate. I'm like, I want to get a little bit more. So I walk over to where he is, and I see that he's got some of the coconut in his mouth, and he's chewing it up into smaller bits and spitting it back into the pot. Ugh. Oh. So, so in my thought, like, obviously he had a real problem making sure that machete could cut the stuff like small so he just started like like a cow he started chewing it up and spitting into the thing so i had already made the decision that it was good it was good enough to have a second plate 
and just decide, well, listen, I already ate it once. I already Uh, ate it once. uh, What is the difference if I eat it a little bit more? And, and just like, you know, this is what happens. You know, these all, there's no such thing as the all in one tool. He couldn't make it happen. So he had adapted and overcome. And the problem was people saw him. So he chewed up the coconut. He sped it back into the pot, stirred with the machete to get a little (laughs) another plate. And I was like, I already did it once. I mean, if I'm going to get sick, I'm already there. Might as well have something to eat. Jess, so you, 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 did, you did the equivalent of making out with the coconut man. No, I did not make out with the <laughs> coconut man. That's the same thing. That is not No differentiation. Same. How dare you, Will Stelter, <laughs> come on this podcast to see I made out with the coconut man. I certainly what did not What would your make- wife say? Oh my she goodness. was fine. I told her all about it. She just said she's a nurse practitioner. She says, "Well, get ready for that Hep C shot." So she thought oh I was going to get the the hepatitis C, and you know where that comes from, Will? Right? The coconut man. No, it comes from not washing your hands. This comes from. That's what the C stands for, right? <laughs> yeah, it comes from the C because it's for. No, it stands for not washing your hands. Then uh, doo doo. That's where. It, sorry, Mrs. Stelter. I'm trying to go as easy as I could. So the answer for me would be I go with the machete, and then I would chew up all my food and spit it back in the pot and serve it to you because you obviously don't care because it's the apocalypse. There we go. Oh my gosh. True story. So one last question, and this is from Toma at Florentine Kitchen Knives. He's a buddy of the show. His wife and him are starting to hire people, and they're asking the best way to teach workers and apprentices. And he's saying, should he do it the Mr. Miyagi way of doing one thing until we get it really good at it and move on to the next? Or should they try a bit of everything to keep them interested, but then suffer the consequences of the lower quality? So I've never employed anybody. Jeff, you've had a few apprentices. What do you think? Uh, I think it's, I think that, I think that teaching makes you better in general. And I think that I try to steer, steer a lot of people away from doing the super hard stuff first. And I think it's building, it's building based on, um, their confidence. I always start people hand sanding. I have a system which makes it pretty hard for it to going to go bad unless they're not paying attention. I think that teaching makes you actually a better knife maker. So, um, I think that that's slow and steady. And then also a lot of these guys, you got to give them if they're willing to take and if they're willing to step up, if they're willing to say, I'm ready to do something new or I'm ready to do the next thing. I think you got to gauge everybody. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Well, I'm going to be going out to see Tomer uh, in uh, in a month or so and uh, we'll find out. But um, I think it's important to kind of gauge people's, uh, ability to kind of do what you want them to do based on how you teach, but also how willing they are to accept teaching. I don't think that's a great answer. The answer is yes. I say make them do a power hammer of day one. Right off the bat. Put them in the worst there position. Pot. No, 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 I mean, just, you know, go ahead. Will, what do you think about you? You guys have had guys in there. Yeah, so I've, I've taught a handful of people how to make knives. I've never had like a long-term apprentice. I think, I think if I were to do that, I'd, I'd start them off... Um, I mean, yeah, there are some really simple processes in, in knife making, but there are also things like bevel grinding, which, you know, takes years and years to get good at depending on your system. Um, so yeah, man, I think I'd, I, I really don't know. I think it'd probably depend on the person and their kind of willingness to learn and stuff like that. Um, but I think I'd probably start them off doing a specific task. Um, like you said, Jeff, cause I mean, really, if they're an employee, you're not you're not really training them to like totally take over the business. They're they're there to increase production. So if there's something that they can learn easily, that's going to take 
you know, it's going to take the load off of you. I would say, yeah, like hand sanding. I'd say hand sanding would be the big thing. A lot of hand of that hand finish work. That's something that can be learned easily so long as they have patience. Um, so I would, I would say start off with that stuff. And then as they get good at that, you know, you can have them slowly move into doing the more complicated stuff. That That's a really good point there of they as much as you want them to enjoy it and them to be interested, they are, they are being paid. They're on the payroll. So they need mm-hmm. to, you know, increase productivity. And if that means hand sanding or, you know, gluing scales or whatever, you know, the, the more boring of the jobs, that's, you know, it's a job at the end of the yeah. day. It's, it's, yeah. However, it's the same. Also, pardon me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, however, you also have to make it worth their while too. And they have to realize they're not just going to be sweeping the floors all the time. I, I actually, when Carl Child started working with me, I felt that it was, I thought, I felt that I needed to figure out ways for, for my system to be more efficient so he could, so I could have him, uh, work better work smarter and part of that was that's when i started we invested in getting a uh uh, disc grinder and that disc grinder changed the way we do hand sanding to the point where we're cutting the time down in half that allowed that efficiency allowed me to figure out ways in which to teach like i would have i've had about four kids come in and i can get them hand sanding beautiful satin finish the first knife based on you know these little systems in place that kind of make it dummy proof. I think that a lot of times you have to, I would rather have, if you talk to a lot of uh, cooks, a lot of chefs, they would almost rather have someone with very, very little experience than someone who's had a ton of experience because then you have to re you know, you have to de-educate them and make things the way you want them to make it. So I think that, the efficiencies are the most critical in order to for you to, and you get better at it. I mean, we get better over here because we've made things in which to hire people. You can't just say to someone, "Just do it," and then they don't have any expectation. They don't. They don't even know what to do. You know, you have to almost like just kind of make it as the stupidest, as easiest as possible is always going to be the best way to go. Blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. And process led. So you got these processes that people can just copy. And keep on going. Right. I, I can imagine Toma flouncing around in his cape, and he's got all his staff there. Oh, baby! And he, he's telling them, gonna... and he's got this big stick, and he'll wrap them on the knuckle, knuckles if they get something wrong. Or you said the, big... you almost said the nipples. Wrap them on I the did. nipples. I did. I did. That's wrap that's, them on the nipples. Watch out, Mister Stelter! It's getting dicey that's over something here. Something else. But yeah, he flounces oh, around in his big cape, overlooking the whole situation. Yeah, yeah I can, I can see it. I can I'm see gonna, it. I'm looking forward to seeing him in that cape. I'm gonna go see him in uh, first week of July. We booked up. We booked up both sections of the class, and we're gonna make some knives. Batman and Robin. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm Fat Man. He's he'll be he'll be Robin. Now listen, we talk about steel. We talk about heat treating. But I'm gonna talk to you about our sponsor, the New Jersey Steel Baron. New Jersey Steel Baron is an awesome place to buy knife steel in different sizes, different alloys, different types of steel, including jacketed steel, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So you know what kind of steel you're getting, and you're getting it from a very reliable source. You can get lots of different sizes, stuff to forge, stuff for stock removal. You can buy small quantities. Um, and what they're also doing is they're doing water jet services. Now, water jet services are great because if you design a knife, you can send them the file or they can even make you the file. And then you can say, all right, I need so-and-so, you know, 10 of these in, you know, 440C eighth of an inch. And they already have that in stock. 
they put it together and they send it to you. You get it very quickly. I do that with our oyster knives to keep the cost down and to be able to provide some value to my customers. And now with the new El Bandito knife, I'm going to be doing, I'm getting ready to get a template to give to Peter to give to Pete, and we're gonna start to do uh, those there. I'm actually gonna do three other kind of knives. I'm gonna bring them templates, and then they're gonna you know, turn them into files, and they're going to do some kind of more water jet stuff for me. Um, the New Jersey Steel Baron's a great place. Their website is not up yet. Uh, we make jokes, it's gonna be up, but right now, if you have questions, if you wanted to try a new type of steel, they'll also have the heat treating instructions. Uh, they're very smart. Uh, I met with the uh, the the main um, Damascus maker there, Dale. Great guy. If you have questions about heat treating, if you have questions about steel, what is the right steel for you? They're a terrific resource. The New Jersey Steel Baron, and they're going to be a blade. They usually bring a pile of steel with them. All the guys there are very smart. Um, go support the New Jersey Steel Baron. We've uh, we've got some steel from them on the way right now. It's funny. Uh, look, look, that's the other thing. A lot of guys like you, I know at one point, Nick Rossi bought all the 1084 and they were out for quite a while. So you gotta, you know, the big guys are all buying for, I know a lot of big knife makers who buy from, uh, the New Jersey Steel Baron. So if they, if it's good enough for Will and Alec, if good enough for Nick Rossi, it's good enough for me. So there we go. There you go. Craig's Community Showcase. So this is the bit of the show where we like to highlight a maker for something that they've done or the work that they do, whatever it may be. Um, so I'm going to kick things off, um, and we're going to do this timed. So we've got this new thing where we time, and we've got 30 seconds. We've got to try and hit the end in. So here we go. So mine is Roland Lanier. So he's Roland Lan on Instagram. Um, now, he's based in Tiers. But um, what he's doing is he's trying to do something a bit different because in TS, everybody's doing the same knife. Everybody's doing exactly the same thing. So he's doing something a little bit different, and I think that needs to be respected. So go and take a look on Instagram. It's Roland Lan. Oh, a couple of seconds left. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. A couple of seconds left. Not the best. It's fine. Look, if you hit the post, you're going to hit the post. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Let's see what happens. I'm competitive, Jeff. I'm competitive. I know you're competitive. I'm going <laughs> to blow your doors off right now. Are we ready? All the time. Jeff, go for it. All right. I want to talk to you about a friend of mine, Quentin Middleton. Middleton Made Knives. His website is middletonmadeknivesco.com. He's one of the real smart minds in terms of... Uh, knife business. He's a he. He's a. I know that he's a. He's a, one of the mentors of. Uh, he works with uh, Jason Knight. He's considered the GQ of craftsmen. He is an awesome dude. I've learned a lot from him, and I would definitely suggest Middleton Made Knives. Perfect. Boom. Oh, awesome. <laughs> we hear you cheating again. You got time. You know what? You cheated too. You cheated too. I, I all stumbled. I wrote. I wrote some things down. These from South Carolina. I messed that up too. But I was close. I, I was closer than you. I was closer than Middleton you. Middleton made knives. Cool. Have you got one? Well, have you got somebody to highlight? I did. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. Get ready. Three, two, one. So uh, my community showcase is a guy named Maverick Murdoch. He's actually a Bozeman-based maker, so same same town as as Alec and I. Um, and he does some really fantastic stuff. And he has like 150 followers on Instagram. So definitely worth giving a follow. It's M A V R I K 
underscore knives maverick murdoch he does been doing a lot of razors and uh he does nice hand sander finishes and stuff and uh definitely worth giving a follow another another younger guy i think he's in his early 20s i think he won i think will won that wins (laughs) new blood wins (laughs) will will that was that was awesome thank you congratulations holy mackerel so we've got three we've got roland lanier we've got which is roland lan Middleton made knives and Maverick knives. Go follow them. All right. We're bringing it back. This is the beef segment. This is the time where we as the hosts air out our beefing, our beefs. You know, we're just bitching and moaning, but really, it's just nonsense. For me, it's super nonsense, but for some of these guys, it's not. So what we're going to do is we're going to air out some certain grievances. I got to still work mine out, but that's fine. And then, so Craig, would you like to kick us off with a beef? Yeah, my beef this week is tradition. So before I start, there's definitely a place for tradition, uh, particularly for the, you know, blacksmithing, that kind of thing. Tradition is everything. But I mean, I've I've had this weekend in Tiers where I saw every knife exactly the same, um, and they're all just following this tradition, and it's 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 quite sad to see because if you go around Tiers, there's there's the shops closing down and it's all looking a little bit run down now, and I think nobody's really standing out with something different and, and making things a bit more modern, apart from Roland Lanier, who I've I've, I've just talked about in the community showcase. Um, I just find it really strange that they're hanging on to this tradition, but at the same time, they're drowning. It's really strange. So I think there's certainly a place for tradition, but what really winds me up is when people let this tradition just just kill them. So, you know... What do you think... Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, no, no go on. Go ahead. No, I Question was going to ask... Like, I was going to ask, based on this tradition, like, I was still looking... Going back to your video, do hmm. these people do web-based business, or do they all foot traffic? Well, there's certainly a lot of um, visitors and tourists going to Tiers, but I think a lot oh. of it's web stuff as well. I mean, oh. I, I know a lot of sort of American restaurants, you know, they, they proudly use Tiers knives, that kind of thing. But uh, it's, 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 really, it's really strange. So you go into any of these shops and the, the walls are just lined with all these knives and you, you wouldn't be able to tell the maker unless you looked at the actual blade and saw the stamp on it. Because the blade shapes are virtually identical. The styles that they're using for their handles are virtually identical. Nothing is setting any of them apart. It's really, really strange. And I know that, you know, it, it's, it's a very famous shape and, and all the rest of it. But it's, I would, you know, it's easy to say that they've had their heyday. But I just think they may be looking to the past too much and they're not looking to the future. And I think it's it's just killing creativity there because everybody's doing the same thing. And it's I, I mm. it baffled me, really baffled me. My thinking mm. was if somebody to come here and set up and do, you know, a, a different style of knife, they'd clean they'd clean up. But whether whether they'd almost allow that because they all seem so much set in their ways. It's very strange, very strange. So that's my beef. It's a weird I, one this week. I just can't yeah. believe these guys would go right next to each other all the time. It's like selling a hamburger at a hamburger convention. It's just like totally bananas to me. I, look, I, I never knew that really La Yole was a, I never. I thought La Yole was the name of one company. I didn't realize that everybody makes all La Yole. It's like a million different guys. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So La Yole used to be one company. They never trademarked or copyrighted, and this was way back, way, way back. 
they ne- they never trademarked the copyright, but but nobody ever infringed on you know if if they did have one, you know everybody knew that was luggy or shape. But over time, more and more makers started making knives that were similar, and they couldn't get back, they couldn't stop them because they didn't trademark it or copyright it in any way. So now, I mean, even the name laggy all now, I can go to a supermarket here in you know in in my village and i can buy a a knife that looks like a lagiol it's the same shape they've got lagiol stamped on it and it'll be like 2 3 euros it's crazy so that there's just, there was just no protection on the design even on their name um so now all of the tiers knives they're, they're that shape they are that shape um it's bizarre really strange hmm. but that's my beef that's my beef hmm. if you got one jeff uh, yeah, it's a minor beef, but it's based off of this whole, uh, you know, this past week I, uh, we sold a pile of, of, uh, we pre-ordered, we did a pre-order sale of the El Bandito, the Carl Ruiz knife, and it, we try to keep the price reasonable, reasonably priced. I'm happy with the price. We're giving a portion to, uh, Carl and his charity, whatever charity he chooses, and, I started to start to get these messages once somebody bought one. And I'm not we're not talking a pile of money. It was a reasonable price, like 400 yeah. 400 bucks for you know this knife, nothing crazy. I started to get these messages of I started to get these messages of Well, now I'm paid and I'll start to get to work. I got a few of those of like all of a sudden once you and I've once in a while I'll get a message from someone who's put a deposit down in a knife and they'll say it'll they'll they'll say, All right, now it's time to get to work. As in you I we we spell everything out in terms of all right, this we're this is the pre order, you buy it direct, and then we're gonna start in whatever. I'm gonna start earlier than I said it. We got six months. I don't like it when people do that. It's almost like instant refund talk because I I, I I, I've never once I've never once did, done anything other than to be Give more to my customers than than um, than I than I start off with. I really like to give more than uh, and we do lots of content. We're gonna do lots of special stuff, and I've never once had a customer say you let me down, not once. Mm. And I so but so I know he was joking and he felt like a little comfortable, but it's just like just because you put a little couple bucks down doesn't mean I'm you know I'm not your servant. You know, I, I, I do, and I know that a lot of knife makers feel the same way. They just feel like, you know, and then I have a subsequent beef. A subsequent, I'm going to start with that one. Now, I, now it reminds me of a bigger beef. I had a guy slip into my DMs and say, uh, can you make me an offset serrated knife for $200? And I said, no. And I said, no, I can't. I said, no, I can't. And he goes, but I only have, and he wrote, but I only have $250 to spend. And I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. And then I had to write this message saying, look, I understand. I also, I also, I don't, I'm not killing anybody with my prices. I, I want to provide value. I want to provide value. But just because you don't have it doesn't mean I have to work. I have to like, you know, I got to bend the knee all the time just for a dollar. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I had a little bit this week is a little bit of Fritz, nothing special, a little bit of, you know, Everyone's trying to give me a little jiggerty pokerty, you know what I mean? That's a, that's a nice talk. That's nice. That's nice PG talk. Jiggerty pokerty. <laughs> jiggerty pokery. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to give me a little jiggerty pokery. What do you think? Well, what what's been uh, grinding your gears this week? Have you got beef? I hope it's the questions people ask you. I hope it. 
Yeah, so my beef actually comes from uh, not, well, first off, the questions are usually uh, pretty subpar, but it actually comes from the, the comments that we got on the Sasquatch Trap video. Um, you would not believe some of the comments that people left on those videos. Like, how dare you try to trap such a gentle creature with such an inhumane (laughs) trap? And you're just like, like, come on, guys. I like that. That's, they're being playful. Uh, No, but it, no, 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 no. Some of them were jokes. Some of them were serious (laughs) and it was unbelievable. Just the, oh my, it, it was, it was bad. It it was real bad. I'm stunned that you guys read the comments. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, every once in a while, you'll scroll through and, you know, read what the top comments are and then see if there's any new comments, you know. Just, you know, if you're waiting for something or taking a heat, something like that. You know, you scroll through the YouTube comments um, just to see what people are saying. Wait, taking the heat? What do you mean taking the heat? Taking a heat on, like, if you're forging something, you know? Oh, oh, I I thought that was a euphemism for... Go to the bathroom. No. Uh, that's usually where people read YouTube comments, isn't it? I mean, I assume, yeah. No, but, uh, yeah, some, some of the YouTube comments that are like, and, oh, man, I could go on a whole rant about YouTube <laughs> go ahead, comments. Go ahead. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. You, like, when Alec bought himself a Ford right after he got here, I swear, I'm, I'm not exaggerating here, there was between 7,500, like, between 750 and 1,000 comments of people saying some different acronym for Ford meaning found on road dead or fix or repair daily. Literally probably right around a thousand comments of people saying that it like read the, if you're going to leave a comment like that, don't leave. If you're going to leave a comment, don't leave the same comment that a thousand other people have already left, you know, like, Oh my goodness. So I don't know why you, I don't know why you would, I don't know why you guys would get involved with reading them. I, I can imagine, only imagine you both being able to slightly miserable when you read them. Well, the thing is, like, I'd say probably 60, 70% of the comments are great. They're like, oh, hey, you know, great job on this, guys. You know, looks great, you know, doing a good job. Uh, but then, you know, you read the comments and you, you just want to pull your hair out or it just yeah. hurts your feelings. So <laughs> hurts your feelings. Yeah, you got you got to build up a thick skin, and I've gotten a lot better about it in the in the past six months. Um, so, <laughs> I I have not I have not I still haven't scrolled through the YouTube comments of the Epicurious videos in because I heard I heard enough. I didn't want to I wanted to want I didn't want to re- keep reading it. I get the feeling that a lot of times with these YouTube comments, people are trying to entertain other YouTube commenters. Like it's not really about what you did. I think it seems like it's more like, like up in the. I guess Epicurious said my hands are awful, so they're making fun of my hands. But it's like, I actually back to YouTube comments. My daughter came home from school and told me that some of her friends found out. Some of the kids at her school found out that I was on it, and they came up to her. And they said, "Hey, Lila, your dad's hands are all messed up. I heard it on the. I had a YouTube. You have bad hands." And she's just I love like. That. And she's just like me. She's like, and so now what? Now what? Okay, I've seen that they're awful. I know. So, what can you do? I don't. I wouldn't read it. Hashtag. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can it? only imagine what what you two get. What Will and Alec get? Oh god! Crazy. Oh my god! I can only imagine. Oh, yeah. awful. It's it. Some of the well, the thing is, some of them are really good. Like there are some people with some good advice out there, but it just gets lost in a sea of garbage. Hmm. Unsolicited advice isn't good either. 
Oh, it's it's literally that, but yeah, it's it's just it's oh yeah. Only imagine. Well, you know, you guys should have used this, and you should have got got that. And I don't know why you got. Oh, there. that's oh, that's the other thing. You should have. We've already finished the project. Yeah. We've finished that yeah. step. Why tell yeah. us what we should have done? We're not going to do it again. You know. That's people are obsessed. Actually, Ed Jit sent me a message. It was like a meme about. It wasn't a meme, but it was like a saying about. We have this whole thing of. What is that? What is that uh, bit we used to have, Craig? Or uh, you know what you should do. That's what it is. So yeah. apparently, there's this psychological thing. Ed sent me a thing. I'll have to put it up at some point. Basically, there's some sort of psychological ha- thing that happens where when you hear, you know what you should do, you immediately get turned off and want to do exactly the opposite. So what happens is, is people just immediately are just like. You know, it's just, it's a very negative way of kind of trying to communicate or trying to give people good advice. You know, could be great advice, but you're, you're delivering it in the worst way possible. So there are these, you know, there's, I guess there's these ways you could say it. Ed said it to me not too long ago. It was like, one might think about doing this or one could do this or not just saying you fucked up. You should do this. Sorry, Mrs. Stelter. That one slipped out, but it's more along the lines of like figuring out ways in which to communicate. So it's not like, you know, you've screwed up and here's how you do it. I don't know how you guys deal. I wouldn't read those YouTube comments, but at the same time, God bless you. Okay. That's a show. That's a show. So a quick reminder of um, our past episodes, all at knifetalk.net. Please subscribe to us, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Spotify, but they're also on YouTube now. They're everywhere. So wherever you're listening, please subscribe. It does help and leave some reviews. Um, the forum at, at forum.knifetalk.net. Um, I'm not sure where that's going at the moment. Um, it's We've probably got about 500 um, registered on the forum, but it only seems to be about 10 or 15 people who are regularly posting. So I'll come back to that in about two weeks and I'll make a decision whether to keep that going or not. But if, if you do use it, you know, go ahead and use it. Don't just lurk. Um, and that's it. That's the show. So we shall see you again and next Monday. last but not least, go over to Mareko. Go to yes. Momasi Fire Arts. Go get yourself the Artisans of Steel calendar and support your boy. That's it. That's um. it. Head on over. Head on over. We shall see you soon. Bye-bye. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.